0: Well, for those of you that don't know me, my name is Jerry. I'm one of the pastors here at the Carmel campus. And as we get going this morning, I have something I want to get you to think about, okay? When was the last time that you started a new job? When was the last time you started a new job? My dad has worked at the same place for 40 years. Blows my mind, 40 years. I'm not even 40 years old yet, right? I can't even fathom what that's like. I started a new job here in Carmel five months ago. And I'm going to guess that all of you are on that spectrum somewhere, right? Maybe, maybe it's been a long time ago or it's very recent. But think about what was it like to start a new job? Starting a new job is really exciting. It should be exciting. You sat down with a person or a group of people and you interviewed. And they told you all about this job. And you said, I think I can do that. And at some point they said, we think you can do that. And they empowered you. and said, we're going to pay you to do that. That's exciting, right? And maybe you have a degree that you're going to put into practice, or maybe there's a skill or a talent or ability that you're going to get to hone or develop on this new job. Or maybe you were hired because of a skill or a talent or ability that you have. When it comes to starting a new job, those are all really good things, right? But can we be honest for a moment? Starting a new job can also be a little stressful, right? I mean, I started a new job five months ago. I would admit it's been a little stressful. I've been in ministry for 15 years. I know how to do the job, but I've told Steve on a number of occasions, I don't know what I'm doing, right? Have you ever had that experience with a new job where you're just like, I don't, there's so much to take in, and who are all the new people? We te- they tease me all the time. I get nobody's name right ever. If I've got your name right, you are special, right? <laughs> I try so hard, But starting a new job in a new place with new people, it's just intimidating, there's so much you learn. And think about the first day on the job. Think about everything you learn on the first day of the job. There's presentations of, hey, here's how we do this, and here's our values, and here's our, and there's that, and this, and this. But really, let's be honest, there is one thing you have to learn on the first day. And if you don't learn this thing, it's gonna get ugly quick. If you've got a pen, you might wanna write this down if you plan on starting a job anytime soon, because you're gonna wanna know this. You have to know where the bathroom is, right? (laughs) If you don't know where the bathroom is, you're only going to survive for a little while. But on the first day of work, if you can learn where the bathroom is and you can remember where you parked your car or how to get home, you can survive to see the next day. Now, we, we tease about that, but think about it. It doesn't matter how competent or confident or excited you are. When you start a new job, you just reach a point, and you don't want anybody to know it, but you're thinking, I don't know what to do next. I don't know who to talk to. I don't know where this thing goes. Where does that go? And you've probably find yourself asking questions like, what what do I do now? What do I do next? Well, for the last several weeks, we've been going through this series entitled In the Flesh, and we've been looking at Jesus's life. For 13 weeks, we've looked at his life. How did he do what he did? Because we believe that he has a pattern for us to follow, and we've learned along the way that he spent his time, his effort, and his energy pouring into a small group of men, and he was equipping them to start a brand new job. And if you're not familiar with this job, just imagine if this was your job title. Their job was to go into the whole world and teach people how to follow Jesus. Think about the scope of that job. Some of us are over a region or over a department, over a small area. Jesus says, you're going to go into the whole world. That's a little intimidating. On top of that, think about what we know about these men. We know that some of them were brothers. Two of these brothers, James and John, had a nickname of the Sons of Thunder. Do you know why their nickname was the Sons of Thunder? Because they were hotheads. There was a time when they went into a town with Jesus, and they were not treated well. Jesus, they were with Jesus, and people treated them badly. And as they were leaving, they said, Jesus, we should call it on fire on those people right now. Okay, those are two of Jesus' squad. I mean, he trusted those guys with this new job. One of them was Peter. He never got it right. A few of them were brothers. A few of them were fishermen. They were blue-collar workers. They worked with their hands. That's a good thing. One of them was a guy named Matthew who was a tax collector. No one liked him because not only did he collect taxes, he probably stole to get rich. So imagine inserting that guy into the group. They didn't like him. Nobody liked him. Then there was this guy named Simon the Zealot. And the Zealot is basically a terrorist like cloak and dagger style, they would go into busy crowds, pull out a knife and stab people who were sympathetic to the Roman government. And then of course there's Judas, the guy that sold Jesus out leading to his arrest and death. Those are the guys. Those are the types of guys that Jesus said, guess what, we're gonna change the world. Now I got a question for you. Knowing what we know about those men, do you think there was ever a time when those guys looked at each other and said, I don't know what he's talking about. I don't know what we're supposed to do. And not only that, imagine after Jesus left, I just pictured them looking at each other like, I got nothing. I got nothing. I didn't even want to be here, right? I just trusted that guy. Can you relate to that in your everyday life? Maybe when you started a new job, I just have a feeling that there was this moment of, I don't know what to do. Well, as we wrap up this series, we're going to look at the last thing that Jesus said to them, which happened to be the most important thing they were going to need to know if they were going to be successful at going into the whole world and making disciples. It was, it was literally the one thing they would need in order to be successful. And here's what's really cool for you and I. It is the same thing that you and I need to know if we're going to learn how to follow Jesus effectively and to make disciples in our everyday life. And so if you want to follow along today, we're going to be in the book of Acts. If you want to turn there and the Bible's around the room, it's on page 758. Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are what are known as the gospels. They're biographies of Jesus's life. And they tell us where he went and what he did and how he did what he did. But the book of Acts is a history book. It's written by Luke, the same guy that wrote the gospel Of Luke, and by the time you arrive in Acts chapter 1, Jesus' three and a half year ministry is coming to a close. In fact, it is done by the end of Acts chapter 1. So, for the last three years, Jesus is trained, He's equipped, He's even sent these guys out and said, Hey, practice what I've told you. But in Acts chapter 1, He's been beaten. He's been crucified, he has died, and he has rose from the dead. So that is where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 1, verse 3. So think about everything these guys have experienced. Think of the emotional ride they have been on. Acts 1, 3 says this, After his suffering, he, Jesus, presented himself to them and began giving many convincing proofs that he was alive. Now, I don't know about you. I've, I've grown up in church my whole life. I am familiar with the story of Jesus. I know that he lived and that he died for my sins and then he rose from the dead. And it's very easy to just kind of run through Acts 1-3 and think, okay, so yeah, he, he rose from the dead. He, he, he revealed himself to them. But can I tell you why we got to stop here for just a moment? This is a historical event. What you believe to be true about Jesus hinges on what happens in Acts 1-3. It says he gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. If that is not true, then what else in Scripture wouldn't be true? So we can't just run through that. We've got to stop and say, wow, he appeared to them and proved that he was alive. Now, I want you to imagine, I want you to think about what it would be like to see someone that has died, someone that you love. You watch them die, you watch them be buried. That's grief. But then to see them in front of you alive in the flesh. Can you imagine just the range of emotions there from grief to amazement, shock, and bewilderment? And I love this. Luke records the first time Jesus appeared to his disciples in the gospel of Luke. And this is, this is how he described it. He said, they were startled and frightened thinking that they saw a ghost. You don't say, right? He was dead. He walked through the wall and says, hey guys, what's up? Listen to what he says. Jesus addresses the awkwardness in the room. He says, peace be with you. In other words, don't freak out, it's okay. Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Listen to this, look at my hands. It is I myself touch and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. He invites them to touch him. He invited Thomas to put his hand in his side where there was a hole. And then he sat down and he ate with them. He wanted them to know ghosts don't eat with you. I am not a ghost, I am your master. So when Luke tells us that he presented himself with many convincing proofs, we should stop and appreciate what it would have been like to be the sons of thunder, to be Peter, to be Simon, the zealot, and to think, oh my goodness, this is happening. This is happening right now. Look what else Acts 1, 3 tells us. It says, he appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. 40 days. This wasn't a one-time event. 40 days from today would be Friday, January the 12th. If Jesus appeared in here today, imagine all that he could do in 40 days. He would have plenty of time to do some Christmas shopping and make some returns. (laughs) He could go to our kids' Christmas programs with us, and I bet if we asked really nice, he'd go for us. Jesus, would you please go? I'm a little busy. I'm hung up. He could come to all of our company and family Christmas parties. He could celebrate New Year's in every time zone. He could be there physically. Happy New Year. Got to go see you. Happy New Year, right? He could do that. He could watch every college bowl game, including the national championship on Monday, January the 9th, he could even watch a few Big Ten basketball games before returning to Bloomington. I'm sorry, heaven. I meant to say heaven, Bloomington, (laughs) heaven. They're very similar, very similar. Now, needless to say, if you have 40 days, you can get a lot done if you don't have to worry about dying. And we know from the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew says that after he resurrected in Jerusalem, he went to Galilee. I think we have the map here. Galilee would be up by the, the Sea of Galilee, the Capernaum area. He left Jerusalem. He went up there where his disciples lived. And for some period of time, he appeared to them. He taught them. He sat with them. He encouraged them. In 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul says that at one point in time, he appeared to 500 people at one time. 500 people saw him alive in the flesh. It's believed that this happened in Galilee. And this is where Jesus gave the great commission, go into all the world and make disciples. He said this to 500 people. But at some point in time, when the time was right, he told his disciples, It's time for us to go back to Jerusalem. And he spent his time with them talking about the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you read throughout the gospels, Jesus mentions the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God almost 80 times. And he would say, the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is here or near. Now, I want you to imagine, first of all, You're dealing with the emotions of seeing him alive. And now you're realizing he's he's the king. He told us the kingdom is near. I think it's here. I think it starts with him. Imagine what, what it would be like to try to process that. I mean, imagine the things that we get excited about. We get excited about the holidays. We get excited about buying a new house, buying a new car. We get excited because our team gets a new coach or our team might get a good lottery pick this year. We get excited about things like that. Imagine the excitement of Jesus in his resurrected state saying, let me tell you more about what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. It was taking shape in front of their very eyes. And so with all of that in mind, I want you to look at a conversation that Jesus has with his disciples in Acts 1, 4, and 5. I love how Luke chronicles this for us. He proved himself to be alive. He spent 40 days, and then he had this conversation. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with water the Holy Spirit. Now I read that and I think, well, that's pretty straightforward. Jesus said to go to this place and do this thing, right? But we have to remember, where was Jesus crucified? He was crucified in Jerusalem. Do you think that was a safe place for them to return to? Do you think they could just come and go as they pleased? I don't think they could. And I think when Jesus said, let's go to Jerusalem, I bet some of them thought, I don't I think I'm busy that day, right? Like I don't know that I want to do that. Going back to Jerusalem would have been risky, and they all knew it, but Jesus promised. He said, Go back to Jerusalem and wait for the gift that my Father has promised, which, now think, listen to this, which you have heard me speak about. What's really interesting, if you go back to the Gospel of John, last week Steve talked about the, the time when Jesus washed the disciples' feet. That happened the night he was betrayed. John 13, if you go to John 14, 15, and 16, Jesus has an extended conversation with his disciples. Guess what he talks about? The Holy Spirit. And he says things like this, John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, you will obey my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and he will be in you. Now remember, he hasn't been arrested yet. Jesus is talking about this, this is going to happen. And he's saying, don't be afraid, the spirit's gonna come. Now, he uses a really interesting word. He says, I'm gonna ask my father to send you another, another counselor. That word translated literally means another of the same sort or one just like the first. So what's Jesus saying? I'm gonna ask my Father to send someone to live with you and in you who is just like me. I'm gonna ask you an honest question. In your mind, is there anybody like Jesus? I I mean, I would say no. I remember learning this thinking, wow, what does that mean? Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit isn't some cheap imitation. In fact, Jesus doesn't refer to the Spirit as an it, but as a he, teaching us that the very Spirit of God would live with them and would live in them. This is one of the greatest mysteries of our faith. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's known as the Trinity. You could study it for years and never fully grasp it. And as, as fun as it would be for us to kind of take dive and say, well, let's let's figure this out. Let's just take some time to figure out who this Holy Spirit guy is. What, what can he do in and through us? In John 14, 17, Jesus told his followers that the Holy Spirit would be with them and would be in them. Later, he's told them that the Holy Spirit would teach them all things. Jesus said, he will remind you of everything that I have taught you and then he said he would lead them into all righteousness. Now this is a big deal. You know why? I want you to think about this. What Jesus is telling them the Holy Spirit is coming to do is the same thing that the Holy Spirit did in Jesus' life when he walked on the earth as a man in the flesh. Look at Luke three twenty-one through 23. This is when Jesus was baptized. It says this, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Is anybody in here close to 30 years old? Just raise your hand. I'm serious. I'm on borrowed time right now. 30 years old. This is a young guy. And here we see who spoke from heaven. God the Father said, that's my son. You've got God the Father, you've got God the Son, and what happens? God the Holy Spirit comes and rests on him. This is when he starts his ministry. But look at this, I love this. Luke chapter four, verse one, look at what we learned. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Not only did the Spirit come upon Jesus, but he filled Jesus. He led Jesus. Jesus, and did you catch where he led him? He led him to a spa treatment where he could chill out and relax, right? He led him to the wilderness where Satan waited for him to tempt him for 40 days. Now, I have a question. How do you think Jesus in the flesh resisted the power of Satan? I'm going to guess that Luke gives us all these details so that we know that he resisted Satan by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Luke wasn't done. In Luke 4.14, after coming out of the wilderness, he says this, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. For 13 weeks, we have looked at the life of this man named Jesus, and we've learned how he's lived in the flesh. And here we learn that in the flesh, Jesus was filled with and led by the Holy Spirit. And now in Acts 1, he's telling his disciples, guys, pay attention. That same spirit, it's not just for me. He, he is for you. He is available to you. Are you starting to get the picture that after his resurrection, Jesus spent a lot of time with his followers, not only to prove that he was alive, but to get them ready and equipped for the job that he had called them to do. And in the preparation for that new job, he told them the one thing they were gonna need to know if they were gonna be successful. Jesus promised that God the Father was gonna fill them With the Holy Spirit, who would lead them to do this task that seemed impossible? Imagine what it would be like to be one of those men. I'm going to put myself in their shoes, and this is what I would be like. I don't know, Jesus. I don't know what that means. What? I've never seen him. I trust you, somebody like you. What's that going to be like? And they don't know that in just a moment he's going to disappear from their sight. But I just picture Jesus smiling from ear to ear. He's full of joy because he's given them everything they need. He has not held back anything. He has spent three years preparing and equipping them. And I think he's just ready to set them loose. And so with this in mind, the disciples ask him a very good question in Acts 1-6. In the same conversation, it says, They gathered around him and asked, Where do we sign on the dotted line? Where do we get started? When can I meet this Holy Spirit guy? That sounds awesome. That's not what they said. They said, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? Have you ever had a conversation with somebody where you're trying to talk about something really serious, and they like change the subject or just move on altogether? Every time I go out of town, this happens. I do not like being apart from my family, and I want to have these sweet moments with my kids. I'm like, come here, sweetheart. Daddy loves you so much. Can you be a big helper and be and help mommy? I will love you and I will think about you. And I look down at my daughter and she'll say, Can I have a cookie? <laughs> sure. Or I'll talk to my boys. Hey, I'm gonna be out of town and I need you to be the man of the house. Okay, can I go play video games? Good good talk. Good talk. Right? I think Jesus is having one of those conversations. And I don't think he did this, but if it were me, I would have been like, oh my gosh, you guys, if I could just go back and pick 12 different guys. Oh, I would start all over. But I love Jesus' response. Look at what he does. He doesn't miss a beat. He said to them, It's not for you to, the t- to know the times or dates the Father has set by His own authority. Listen to these words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says, Bless your little hearts. That is actually is a really good question. It's a deep theological question that they ask. Bless your hearts. Here's what you need to know, guys. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Now, before he described the Holy Spirit as a gift. Now he's saying the Holy Spirit has power. The Greek word used here for power is the word dunamis. Does that sound familiar? It means uh, force or miraculous power. It's the same word that we get our word dynamite from. Jesus said, that's the kind of power that's gonna come and rest on you and live inside of you. Forceful, miraculous, supernatural, dynamic power. Power that you do not possess on your own. And then he reminds them what that power is to be used for. He says, you are to be my witnesses to the ends of the earth, everywhere, all the time. Now, let me ask you a question. What is the role of a witness? The role of a witness is to give testimony based on what they know and what they've seen. Based on what they know and what they've seen. Well, what did these guys know? They knew that this man, Jesus, that stood before them was unlike anyone they had ever met. They knew that he loved people in a way that didn't make sense. They knew that he pursued all the people that everybody else forgot about. They knew that he lived his life on purpose to please his heavenly father. They knew, they had come to know that he was the Christ, the Son of the living God, the prophesied Messiah of the Old Testament. And they knew that their lives with Jesus were way better than they were without Jesus. That's what they knew. But what had they seen? They had witnessed his death, his burial, and now his resurrection. They had witnessed many convincing proofs that he was alive. And now he is saying, I know you have lots of questions. There'll be time for that later. But you have a job to do. And here's what you need to know. And essentially he's telling them the most important thing they're gonna need to know if they're gonna do this job. He says, I'm giving you what you need so that you can go and do what I've asked you to go and do. I'm giving you my power to do the job that I've given you. After three years of on-the-job training, you have everything that you need. Now, think about that. He said this, you're gonna receive power. You're gonna be my witnesses. I've got a question, Jesus. Somebody raises their hand, look what happens next. While that guy's raising his hand, um, I put that in there. I don't know, I would be raising my hand. I got a question, look what happens. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. I got a question. What? Where's he going? They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you saw him go. You're standing there and he's talking and he starts going this way. And I just picture them like, what is go- What is happening? And God is so gracious to send these two angels. And basically they say, hey, guys, why are you standing in here? He told you he's going to come back. By the way, he's given you everything that you need to go and do what he told you to go and do. You should probably go into Jerusalem. And this is where I love this story. If you've never read the book of Acts, read the book of Acts this week. In Acts chapter 2, 10 days after that happened, just as Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit came in power. And that ragtag collection of fishermen and tax collectors and terrorists and prostitutes, they began speaking boldly in the name of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 2, Peter, you know Peter, the guy that never gets it right. Peter, the guy that speaks before he thinks and has to say he's sorry later. Peter, the guy that said, Jesus, I will stay with you until you die. And then an hour later denied that he knew Jesus to a middle school girl. That guy, Peter, it's in the Bible. That guy, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he stands up in the middle of Jerusalem during a holiday with the hustle and bustle of the holiday rush. He preaches the first gospel sermon, and this is how he closes it out. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know what I love about this? Peter didn't sit on it. He had just received the Spirit moments before. He had seen the risen Christ. He had experienced the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, this gift is for all of you who confess Jesus to be your Savior. And then something amazing happens. Acts 2.41 says 3,000 people accepted that message that day. They were baptized, and they began to follow Jesus. In Acts 16, Jesus said, I will build a church And the gates of hell will not be able to stop it or slow it down. The church was born on that day. 3,000 people received the gift of the Holy Spirit. By Acts chapter 4, 3,000 people grows to 5,000. In Acts 6, 7, it says, the number of disciples increased rapidly in Jerusalem. And that number continued to grow in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And 2,000 years later, There are churches and movements of Christ followers followers breaking out all over the world. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think those 12 men had a well-laid plan for what happened next? I don't think they did. But the book of Acts tells us that the power of the Holy Spirit was unleashed. And he was at work in ordinary people in extraordinary ways. In Acts 4.13, it says this, when the people saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that they had been with Jesus. When other people saw these guys, they thought, there is nothing special about these guys, but they have been with Jesus. Let me ask you a question Do you ever feel unschooled and ordinary when it comes to living out your faith? Do you get freaked out and overwhelmed when you hear us talking about becoming a disciple-making church? And you're thinking, "I I don't know where to begin. I don't know where to start. Have you ever found yourself saying, of course, I'm a follower of Jesus. I love him, but I don't know what to do. Well, here's some good news for me and for you. Those guys felt the same way. And in the same way, he has given us everything we need in order to do what he's asked us to go and do. He hasn't, Jesus hasn't held back on us. There's not something more for us to grab hold of. He's given us everything that we need to go and do what he's asked us to go and do. The same thing Jesus taught about the Holy Spirit to those men is true for us. He's our advocate, he's our counselor, he's our comforter. He'll be with us forever. He's not only with us, he lives in us. He will teach us all things. He will lead us into all righteousness. 2,000 years ago, Jesus promised that he would build a church. And for the last 2,000 years, faithful disciples have lived out their everyday lives with the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And here's why this is so exciting for us, Genesis. It is our turn. It's our turn. We don't just wait to pass this on to our kids. It has to happen right now. For 2,000 years, men and women, students and children, have faithfully trusted Jesus with their normal, everyday, mundane lives. And I think it worked because we're sitting here today. I want you to imagine what could happen if we surrendered the normal parts of our life that drive us absolutely crazy and said, Holy Spirit, I give this conversation to you. Holy Spirit, would you give me wisdom? Holy Spirit, will you show me how to do this? I think those are the kind of prayers that honor God. And imagine what it could look like if we loved our spouses by the power of the Holy Spirit and we led our children by the power of the Holy Spirit and we trusted him when we got into conversations where we didn't know where they would end up and we were scared. What if we just went and worked our hearts out even if you hate your job by the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you think people might start to notice and ask questions? And if that freaks you out, welcome to the club. I think when he floated away that day, I think those guys were freaked out. In Galatians chapter five, Paul makes it really simple. He says, you wanna know how you live by the power of the Holy Spirit? He says, you walk with or you stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Just as you take a step, that steps with the Holy Spirit. And as you go where you go, you go by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, 27, Paul says, the, the Spirit intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit prays to God on our behalf. Guys, he is with us. He is in us. He's working around us. He is just waiting for us to tap in to power that's not our own. In that, that's good news. If you're a follower of Jesus, he has given you everything you need to go and do what he's called you to go and do. The Holy Spirit will help you us lead people and finding their way back to God, the Holy Spirit will give us what we need to make disciples in Jesus' name. Without him, it is impossible. Without him, we shouldn't expect anything to change. But with him, he can do anything. He can make the impossible possible. And I think for me, I want to see like this big grand thing happen. You know what? I would take credit for that. I think he's going to work through ordinary people in extraordinary ways, and it won't be till we get to heaven and we're like, whoa, I had no idea. I was meeting with a men's group this week and one of the guys said, that's it, that's it for me. I've always thought it's gotta be this special thing. It's probably just normal, everyday interactions, trusting that the Spirit is doing what only the Spirit can do. It's none of our business to know the times or the dates or how or when. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Now we wanna close out this service. I'm gonna, actually, I wanna have you stand up. Maybe you've never heard about this before. Maybe you're thinking, man, I've heard about the Holy Spirit and that freaks me out. But if you are a follower of Jesus, this is your gift. It is not for pastors only or scholars. The Holy Spirit is our gift. And I want to invite you, this is gonna feel awkward, but if you want to be open to receiving the Holy Spirit, I just want you to place your hands out like this. And we're gonna put Acts 1-8 up on the screen. And I want us to read this together out loud And to proclaim, that's the power that we need. Would you read this out loud with me? But you will receive. Okay, you read that like a bunch of church people. That was good. You can read. Power. Dynamite. Let's read it like we mean it. Let's read it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my. Keep your hands open. Father in heaven, this is your story. You've been telling it from the very beginning and you use ordinary, unschooled people just like us. You've been doing it for 2,000 years and beyond. And Jesus, you, for what, reason you decided to step into our world the mess that we make and you showed us how to live and i love that you did not neglect the detail of the holy spirit holy spirit would you fill us holy spirit would you lead us holy spirit would you teach us I pray for every one of us as we've got our hands out. If we've confessed Christ, you've been living inside of us. We have probably tried to bottle you up or ignore you. Would you give us ears to hear your voice? Would you give us eyes to see you at work? Would you do what only you can do and use our normal everyday lives to make the name of Jesus great? Help us to make disciples and to help people find their way back to God for the glory of Jesus by the power of the Spirit. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus.